Hello, this is John Beasley welcoming you to edition 28 of the Harmony UK podcast and the third and final part of our series on the history of barbershop singing here in the UK. We take up the story towards the end of 1975. It's a cold December day on the platform of Liverpool Lime Street Station. A group of barbershop singers are about to board a train to Brighton. Led by Bob Kay, musical director of the recently formed Liverpool Barbershop Harmony Club, the group are in high spirits as they begin their journey bound for Bab's second annual British Barbershop Convention. Bob being the guy that he was, we were all meeting in Lime Street, so we all met in Lime Street on the concourse. He wouldn't move until we'd sung at least two songs. And then we went onto the platform and he wouldn't let us get on the train until we sang another two songs. And then we got onto the train and we kept on singing the whole time, but he wouldn't let the train start until we sung another song hanging out of the window. And we've got the photographic evidence of that. And then we went off and we came off in, in Houston. Out we came out of the train. You're not moving from the platform, you've got to sing another song. So we went through the ticket barrier and the men said, oh, this is quite nice, would you sing us another one? So in Houston we sang there. We sang going down the escalator. They wouldn't give us the tickets until we sang there. We down, went down some more escalators, sang on there, sang all the way through till we came to Waterloo, I think it was. Same pattern all the way through. By this time I was getting a bit embarrassed. And, and uh, we got the train from Waterloo to Brighton and we arrived quite late and there was a, a, a party there waiting for us and they sang You're As Welcome As The Flowers In May. You're as welcome as the flowers in This was to be another milestone convention. For a start, Brighton in 1975 was the venue for the UK's first ever chorus contest. In its inaugural convention in Newcastle 17 months earlier, there had been but a handful of choruses. However, in the intervening time, the organisation, the British Association of Barbershoppers, as they called themselves, had grown considerably. In July 1974, Bob Walker had won a first ever gold medal with his quartet, the Ringleaders. Now he was competing for the first chorus gold with the Crawley Courtsman. In 1975 was the first chorus contest, that's right. And we had, um, I don't know how many choruses, but quite a few competed in that. It would be seven or eight at least. And um, Crawley were lucky to, to win that. And then Crawley won the second one as well in uh, 1976. And then it was generally agreed that we would do something similar to the society. In the society, once you win as a chorus, you retire for two years. We decided that one year was quite enough for us because uh, we were a much smaller organisation. That winter weekend on the south coast, hundreds of people would have been experiencing their first real taste of the arcane world of barbershop. They'd have been eager to learn the secrets of the seventh chord, how to get those chords to ring, about the society Spebskuza, the American group which inspired early British pioneers and encouraged the growth of the barbershop hobby in the UK. Above all, they'd have wanted to get to know one another and, of course, to sing. Rhiannon Owens Hall was on that train to Brighton for her first convention. She was known back then as Rhiannon Whittle. Convention was important because we found out a lot more about it and we saw people like Bob Walker, who became my idol at that time, um, 
who else did we see? We saw um, the Harmony Razors, who were a, a quartet from Bristol with Barry Sim and uh, Mike Charles in it. You know, there were lovely, all sorts of different learning experiences, as well as the bronze tones being there from the female point of view. And that's where the ladies became um, instrumental. That's where they had their, it wasn't called a convention, but it was a meeting and there was a chorus competition and a quartet competition. The Bronze Tones, tenor Judy Wally, lead Portia Little, Barry Betty Luckett Meinholz and bass Bron Dixon were among Bab's special guests at Brighton back in 1975. By then, it had been 13 years since they'd formed their quartet in Mobile, Alabama. As international quartet champions in 1971, they'd been crowned Sweet Adeline's Queens of Harmony. And when they performed for the assembled British barbershop audience, they sang a song from home. I come from Alabama with my banjo on my knee. The Bronstones encouraged those who were discussing the idea of a separate women's organisation in Britain to serve the growing number of female choruses and quartets. It was part of the BAPS convention, it was one convention, and we had our sort of section of it. Eventually we grew, BAPS grew, and kind of did their own wanted to go their own way and it seemed sensible at the time. Janet Holland, who with Daft Powell and Kay and Kim Derrick won the first ever Ladies Association of British Barbershop Singers gold medals with their quartet The Minor Birds in 1976. In the early days, many of the women singing barbershop had caught the bug from their male partners. In Janet's case, her husband, Jerry Holland, who we met in previous episodes of the podcast. The point is that Jerry was so involved in barbershop and we were sort of young marrieds-ish uh, and he was very involved as you have heard and as you know. So eventually Pete Powell's wife, Daff, and two others, uh, we decided, oh well if, you know, if we can't beat them, let's join them as they say. So we we got together and started singing and eventually the, the group we decided to expand and we formed the Barbarettes, the Reading Barbarettes. We got music from somewhere. Um, Jerry of course was going over to the States and they brought Sweet Adeline stuff back. Um, so we had that link all the time. And so from the Reading Barbarettes we formed our first quartet, which again included Duff Powell and Kay and her daughter. And were you as enthusiastic about barbershop as, as, as Jerry obviously was? 
Um, I can't say I can. I can come up to Jerry's enthusiasm, actually. I mean, he was taken over by it. I don't say I was taken over. Women have their feet on the ground a bit more. Well, I did anyway. <laughs> and at Brighton, the growing number of women barbershoppers were already beginning to take control of their own activities within the convention. Even the first competition in 1975 was judged by the bronze tones. They judged both the chorus and the quartet competition there. And there was, you know, uh, Avon Bells, um, Reading Barbarettes, Tyneside Ladies, uh, Purbrook Ladies, uh, Crawley. I don't know whether Leicester competed. I mean, this is a completely new world to me. I hadn't seen any of this before. It was so exciting. It would just made me want more, really. It's kept me going all these years. <laughs> but could those women who, like Rhiannon, wanted more, really achieve full recognition within Babs? Though women were now judging their own contests, the fact was that every office holder, every decision maker, every official in the organisation was a man. Just as in America over 30 years previously, the group had been set up by men and primarily for men. 1970s really, you know, I, I, you can see exactly why my foremothers would kind of say, you know, this is nice, but let, let's 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 do where we can actually kind of make our decisions and and not just be asked to make the tea. The musicologist and barbershop historian Dr. Liz Garnett is the author of the book The British Barbershopper. She says that when it came to a breakaway from Babs, British women were faced with something of a dilemma. There is a women's organisation that was pre-existent, Sweet Adelines. And they were setting up in the UK at the same time as, as you know, they're, they're in the UK as long as, as labs have. And so the decision wasn't so much, are we going to set up a separate women's organisation? It wasn't just that. It was like, are we going to do our own British one or are we going to join Sweet Adelines? And the decision not to join Sweet Adelines was, I think, a key one. Um, and that was about control. That, a lot of that was about control and governance, about being able to make decisions and, um, you know, not, not just be answerable to, to an international board. If you visit the Ladies' Association website, you'll find Rhiannon Owens Hall listed among the five founder members of Labs. She told me more about those initial discussions. We wanted to compete, we wanted to sing. Like many ladies who sit there and watch their partners on the side, they decide they want to be involved in it. And it is, it's that sort of, it's, it, it, it's quite compulsive once you start and you get excited because you're singing with somebody else and you enjoy those sounds. And the ladies decided that they wanted to form an association. And, and that's essentially how it started. They wanted to do something. But because um, the man, Babs, had actually set up, well, via um, SPEBSQSA, uh, they had an affiliation agreement. And we, we, we quite liked that idea. So we applied to Sweet Adelines to see if we could have an affiliation agreement with them. And we were told categorically that we would have to pay this amount, this amount, this amount, and it would go out of the country. And actually, we probably wouldn't um, be able to have an affiliation agreement. We would have to join them directly. Uh, and we, we came a little bit sort of, well, we, why is that going to happen? And people were saying, I don't... And it was grassroots people saying, don't want my money to go out of the country, really. And that's where people started talking about producing their own association. The Ladies' Association of British Barbershop Singers, we have 60 clubs spanning the length and breadth of our fair isles. 
from the Isle of Wight to Scotland's granite city, Aberdeen. Choruses of women with a passion and musical drive equal to any. Quartets with harmony beating in our blood. For the past 45 years, Labs has been a proudly independent organisation, as their latest promotional video makes clear. Our membership spans all ages. We're not following in anyone's footsteps, folks. As the years progressed, Labs did develop close but always informal ties with the smaller of the two North American women's organisations, Harmony Incorporated. And while most British female choruses rejected the offer to become full members of Sweet Adelines, that US organisation continued to offer its support to their singers. Janet Holland was at that time singing with the Reading Barbarettes. I learnt a lot, actually, from the whole thing. Sweet Adelines, a, a, a quartet or some members of Sweet Adelines, used to come over in, in those days, um, kind of trying to foster... Uh, us new girls over here, as it were, and uh, they they uh, they were around quite a lot, giving us tips and giving us workshops and so forth. What did you think of of, of that, and what did you think of them? Because they they tried to get people to join, didn't they? Uh, yes, but we we didn't. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I don't know. I think because Labs was. Labs was going, and we just wanted to stay as Labs, really. Connect, connected to, um, sort of the sister of Babs, really, I suppose. But did you did you have the feeling that that perhaps because they've got different rules and ju different judging rules, haven't they? And they do things in slightly different ways. Yes. That, that you might have to do things in unfamiliar ways if you were to join Sweet Adelines and 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 maybe leave. Do what we're told. Do what you're told. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Adelines didn't give up. Far from it. In 1977, their international convention moved lock, stock and barrel to Britain to be held at one of London's most iconic musical venues, the home of the proms, the Royal Albert Hall. It was the first time that Sweet Adelines convention had been held anywhere in Europe and it was front page news. 5,000 warm and wonderful human beings descended on London this week for the greatest single invasion of Americans since World War II. Name a state in the United States from New York to Florida, from Illinois to Michigan. They're all represented and they're all here to sing. The opening words of a special front page report published in a souvenir edition of the London Evening Standard under the banner headline, London Gets Harmonised, along with a huge photo of crowds of singers packed in front of the hall's famous Victorian Dome. During the 31st Sweet Adelines Convention, Gem City Chapter from Dayton, Ohio, were crowned chorus champions, while the Shondells became the 1977 Queens of Harmony. It's hard to imagine that the new champion quartet were too daunted by their surroundings. Among their performance credits were two USO tours where the Shondells entertained American troops fighting in Vietnam. There were also some British choruses appearing at that convention, including the Brighton Ladies Chorus, who were later renamed Coastline Harmony. It was at the Royal Albert Hall, and they had, at that particular time, um, they had some choruses come over from America, 
to sing, obviously, at the Royal Albert Hall and to promote Sweet Adeline. And because Coastal on Harmony had got in touch with the Ladies American Barbershop Choruses, which are Sweet Adeline's, they then were asked to sing at the Royal Albert Hall as well and take part in a competition. They sang Heart of a Clown and they were dressed up in clown out- outfits. And by everything that I've heard over the years, it, it was the most amazing thing that anybody had ever done because the American choruses are out of this world as, as possibly you know. Marina Plant is a former president of Coastline Harmony. She sung with them for many years and, as a dressmaker, she's provided many of their performance costumes. She says that for her chorus, the well-established Sweet Adelines had one big advantage over the newly formed British Ladies' Association. I think because at that particular time, Sweet Adelines had uh, more a cappella chorus music for ladies, because lads, I think, they used to sing a lot of the men's arrangements. And as ladies, our voices are just slightly different to men's in range. So I I think you'll find that because of the American ladies' barbershop, there was far, far more music to have in those days. I mean, not now, because obviously our Ladies' Association has caught up well and truly with Sweet Adeline. Dr Liz Garnett says that for many years, relations between the two women's organisations in Britain were decidedly frosty. The relations between Labs and Sweet Adeline's up until around 2006 were just, you know... You could you could be in one organisation and just not and nobody ever tell you that the one exists. It was just kind of back to back, just politely ignore each other. And although Labs and Sweet Adelines have now grown a little closer, they work together through the charity Barbershop in Harmony. They both take part in European barbershop competitions, and some women singers belong to both groups. Liz Garnett says that the ladies of Labs still have a much greater cultural affinity with their barbershop brothers in Babs than with their Sweet Adeline sisters. Labs and Babs feel culturally more similar than, say, Labs and Sweet Adelines are. Um, it's funny, you know the bits in Blues Brothers when they go, go into a bar and they say, and it's like, it's not like, what kind of music do you normally have here? Oh, both kinds, country and Western. I, I had jokes with um, um, Jenny Mills, who you may remember, and, um, and she's saying, she's like, yes, yes, I sing both kinds, Labs and Sweet Adelines. <laughs> Um, so musically um, and the kind of approach and approach to performance I think that there's probably greater continuity across Labs and Babs in terms of the sound and, and the aesthetic and such In some ways after the split Labs and Babs continued to grow in parallel They both shared the same judging rules for competitions taken from America's Speb Scusa later to become the Barbershop Harmony Society Labs now needed its own faculty of judges. And, as with Babs a couple of years earlier, it was the organisation's leading quartet singers who stepped up. When we were trying to set it up, uh, the judging system, we looked at the people who might be able to do anything, and the minor birds were crucial because um, there was Kay Derrick and Kim Derrick and Daft Powell, 
three of them gifted singers and musicians um, and we were the blue cords so there was Margaret Kay uh, there was myself uh, Judith Sanders as she was then and Jean Cartwright and we I mean we muddled together we pulled it together Pete Powell was instrumental in helping us as well very very helpful but I think Kim moved away because she was quite young. She was starting her career. Kay did something, was working, and then Judith Kay left and Judith took over. So we had a sort of a, um, it moved around within those people. Uh, and Dad said, well, I could do harmony accuracy. And, and I think Kim said, I'll do balance and blend. And Kay said, well, I'll do stage presence. Uh, and I thought, all right, well, I better do some things. And uh, somebody, Margaret, I think, said, well, I'll do interpretation. And I, and, and I said, I'll do arrangement because that was the only one left. But I, it was actually, it, it had a little bit more music. I needed, people needed to have a, a, an understanding of, of harmony and chords and that sort of stuff. And that's, it was, it was my bucket, really. You know, it's what I've been trained to do. And Labs also developed its own distinct characteristics. Among them, says Liz Garnett, was a particularly strong aspiration, at least at first, that everyone should always feel included. Back when I was writing the book, uh, I would have said that Labs was certainly much more invested in the collective, um, that it was the whole, it was much more invested in choruses, not particularly invested in quartets compared to Babs. I think that's changed a bit. I think that Labs are more interested in quartets than they were back then and less because there, there used to be a bit of a culture that um you didn't want to stand out and like it was all about us and everybody has to be a winner the emblematic one was there was a kind of that was the raffle on the coach in my, in my chorus i was when i when i was starting the research was that we'd all bring a prize we'd have a raffle so everybody would ho go home with a different prize from one they brought you know and that was kind of that seemed emblematic then the number of awards you get at a labs event is amazing as it is they wanted to honor everybody and and commensurately that there was that there were in some quarters a bit of a mistrust of standing out and quartetting was a big bit up yourself and, and that was you know would want to stand out but that was 20 years ago i think labs has embraced quartetting more and has got a calmer relationship with it and a healthier relationship with it. One thing common to both organisations, says Liz, is that at times they pursued their love of barbershop with an evangelical zeal. There was quite a lot of, of kind of practical support of training models and learning materials and music and um, advice on how to go out and how to evangelise. It was very much proselytising uh, evangelical metaphors. They, they filtered this whole experience through. It was getting out, spread the word. It, it's an unusual thing, that, isn't it? Because, I mean, Americans we know are very upfront about spreading the word and, and very very enthusiastic about anything they get into, they want to celebrate. We're, we tend to be much more reserved in this country. Was Barbershop going against the grain? It's interesting, Thea. I mean, I think there's, uh, certainly socially, there's, you know, there's a difference of so social reservation, but certainly the discourse, if you read back through the um, uh, Harmony Expresses and, and Voice Box and I think back, you know, back into the 80s, this discourse is still very much spread. And actually through the 90s, the discourse is very much spreading, spread the word, anything to spread the word. And quite often you get quite a few letters in Harmony Express, uh, which possibly um, answers the point, but you've got people kind of berating each other for not spreading the word enough. You know, people, you, you're in you your workplace you know, and you're not you're not wearing your club um, pin to, or, or such to, to get conversations going. And they're kind of people exhorting each other to do more. 
It wasn't until 1980 in Liverpool that Labs first held its own separate convention. Throughout the remainder of the 70s, the women and men of Labs and Babs continued to share an annual convention, held either at a university campus or in a holiday camp. Jane Dancer attended her first convention as a small child in 1978. Her grandfather Harry, who founded British Barbershop along with the Crawley Cordsman in the 60s, had died two years earlier. But his sons Tony and John, Jane's father, continued to sing. The first one I remember, I was really tiny. I think it was um, 1978, it was the Caster Convention, so I would have been seven. And yeah, I do remember that. I remember, I remember going and seeing my dad. He was in a comedy quartet there. I think he was on stage. Um, and then I, I think the Chordsman sang. I remember seeing the Chordsman sang. And I remember the Newtown Ringers. Uh, I think they were the winners that year because... Um, they were from Crawley uh, and have various badges and things. I've still got them, little little motifs <laughs> um, from when they won that year. So, yeah, I do remember that. I believe my nan was there too um, because it was shortly after, obviously, Grandpa had, had, had passed away. So, yeah, I do remember that. And then subsequent conventions in Brighton and Harrogate and Bournemouth and Prelims and Exeter and all sorts of places. So, yes, very much so. Have they changed much over the years? Because you mentioned Bournemouth and, and Babs uses the convention centre there. Um, but Caster, I think it was a holiday camp, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a holiday camp. Yeah, we stayed in a chalet. My sister was like, I think she was two. And so I kept having to be sent back to look after her. And my dad was off singing. <laughs> so, yes, it was a holiday camp. It was a chalet down. I remember that. I remember staying in one. Yeah. is perhaps just a hint of Heidi High about this mass sing from Cromer in 1978. But the sound of convention carried well beyond the perimeter of the camp thanks to the BBC. In the late 1970s the corporation devoted half an hour of airtime on national radio to covering this annual barbershop showcase. Now you've been listening to the best barbershoppers in our country. Now you mustn't forget that they, are only, they only represent in the region of about 7% of all our barbershoppers. All the other thousands of people that sing barbershop in this country have not got a goal because only one set of people can win it and all the rest are not going to get it. But I can't emphasise enough the support and enthusiasm that comes from all the other people and from people I hope are listening to this programme who would like also to sing Barbershop or maybe even do. We hear all the time of people who sing who are singing Barbershop and they don't even know about us. And they say, oh, have we got an organisation? You certainly have. And it's growing and it's getting better all the time. And please write to Mike Ford at the BBC Birmingham if you want to sing Barbershop and he will put you in touch with us and we'll put you in touch with, with the nearest club that you can join or even if you want to start your own. Well, why not? The slogan is, keep the whole world singing. Goodbye. 
the melodious, dulcet tones of Jerry Holland as he invited the nation via Radio 2 to join their local barbershop club and come and sing. By this time, Jerry was in charge of publicity for Babs and he was on a bit of a roll with the Beeb, having persuaded Esther Ranson in 1974 to feature the minor chords on That's Life, her TV show. He then managed to get the broadcaster and comedian cheerful Charlie Chester to host a nationwide quartet contest, again on Radio 2, a network with a weekly audience in the tens of millions. This is what barbershop singing all about. Ladies and gentlemen, my listening uh, audience, I'd like to explain to you that here at the Leamington Spa Centre Hall, uh, we've been, they've been singing all day long. And, you know, I can honestly say with my hand on my heart, I haven't seen a miserable face here today. I've seen people with lost voices <laughs> say, oh, I, I can't do any more, I've done it all, you know. <laughs> but I haven't seen a miserable face. And that's what barbershopping is all about, isn't it? Well, now, waiting in the wings to come on, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure you give a very warm reception to the ladies' quartet winners, and they are, of course, the Blue Chords from Liverpool. I can't remember how Charlie Chester got hold of us, but he did. I guess he must have got it through Esther Ransom and got in touch with us and said, I, I, I just love Barbershop. Would you guys like to run a Barbershop contest on, on radio? So we said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And I think it was in Birmingham where we, where we uh, eventually ran it. And people came out of the woodwork like you wouldn't believe. It was amazing. You know, they, in those days, people listen to radio more than they do today. Sorry, they pay attention to radio more than they did today. Uh, it's, it was less of a background and more of something you actually listen to in those days. And uh, the Charlie, Charlie Chester hit it right on the head, you know. And I forget how many quartets we had, but we had a lot. Mob, I don't know, 20, 30, I can't remember. But the guys came from all over the place. And of course, obviously under our influence, we said, well, what about starting yourselves a club and that sort of thing? Now, how many of those people did? I do not know. I don't know how many of those guys, I have no idea who started it from that point of view, but it certainly spread very rapidly. And I know that this crowd behind the curtain tonight who've won the uh, men's chorus have got a great following. The Bristol Barbershop Harmony Club. Loose the faithful lightning of his terrible sword. 
The Bristol Barbershop Harmony Club. And before them, you heard the Blue Chords. Jean Cartwright, tenor, Margaret Nichols lead, Judith Winters Barry and Rhiannon Whittle, as she was then, on bass, singing at that Radio 2 finale, which was recorded in Leamington Spa for a competition organised by the British Association of Barbershoppers and Lions International. Thanks to Rhiannon, who kindly sent me her recording of that Radio 2 show. The exposure of Barbershop 2 TV and radio audiences really did spark a wave of enthusiasm to sing among the public. In Birmingham, two singing enthusiasts, Dennis Hodgetts and Rod Butcher, had been tuning into Barbershop via the BBC for a while now. Uh, they later were to found the city's Anvil Chorus, as I discovered when I met Rod at two metres social distance before the lockdown on a rainy day in Birmingham city centre. Rob, we are we are looking at Birmingham Town Hall. <laughs> we are. <laughs> this is a building that played a part in the growth of barbershop in the city. Tell me how. Yeah, well, it, it, as far as Anvil went, um, it certainly did. Um, we came to the uh, the concert just before the Birmingham Convention in, in uh, 1976 here. So that would have been uh, Babs' third convention? Babs' third convention, yes. And they were at the university for it. Um, it was a closed event. Um, there was a, a guy whose daughter was in the school I was teaching in in West Bromwich and he used to sing in a little quartet with a K and J male voice choir and we knew Dennis um, the four or five of us in the school that were singing and we were we were like desperate to get at this barbershop thing having heard and seen indeed um, the two BBC broadcasts uh, that were on in the mid 70s so you know we, we were really excited when we found there was a barbershop concert and it was a British association and it's in Birmingham and it's at the town hall so we all rushed to this concert I, 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 those of us from school met Dennis um, uh, whose daughter as I said was in, was in school and um, we had a chat and there was a guy called Brian Lake there who was living in Birmingham but working in Leicester and he joined the Leicester Chorus so you know there's like a, a, a triangle of people who were interested in this and we decided that we would uh, from this, this event try and get together and form a club. So um, how many of you actually came down for the concert then? Well, you know, literally, I mean, I'm three and a half miles away, so it's, uh, it's easy for me. Dennis is in West Bromwich. There would have been about four of us, I guess, um, that we, we knew each other. They would be um, uh, the champion quartets uh, from the previous couple of years, I guess, and uh, the bigger choruses. And, uh, uh, you know, we were just excited to be there and to hear what we thought was the real stuff. What did you do afterwards? You know, just had a chat in in the foyer, and we met uh, one or two people, um, and we were trying to find out about the convention. Um, and the the head of music, Chris Harker, who was indeed Anvil's first director, he um, he lives uh, just south of. In fact, he lives quite near the university, so he went and gate crashed the convention because we were told, "Oh no, you can't get in. It's a closed event. You have to have a ticket and stuff like this." Anyway, Chris actually went to the convention on the Saturday. <laughs> But gate-crashing really wasn't necessary that year if you wanted to catch some quality barbershop in cities and towns around the country. Two years after his successful 1974 tour, Barry Best, the resourceful chief executive of Spebscusa, was back in Britain. And once again, he'd brought a chorus of more than 100 singers, plus several quartets among them, including the Pacific Airs. 
on the itinerary a joint concert with the Pendulous Male Voice Choir in Wales and dates at venues in major towns and cities like this one at Stockport's Davenport Theatre. My name is Barry Best and we are delighted to be back with you again. Well, what's it all about? Barbershop Harvey speaks of the good old days, the good old times, moon, spoon, June, and the girl next door. So, our chorus has wrapped off in one medley for you, and funny enough, it's called the Old Songs Medley. At the time, Graham Eaglin was a young and raw recruit singing bass with the Stockport Barbershop Club. When he heard about the concert, he decided to go, taking along his mum and his trusty portable cassette recorder. The Americans obviously arranged their own tour. We knew they were coming to the Davenport Theatre. Uh, it was decided that we would sing them in down in Manchester in uh, Piccadilly there by the Portland Hotel. And we, uh, quite a few of us went. It was a bit of a scratch chorus. We sang on the pavement outside and then the coaches arrived and we sang them in and then we went down in the bar and singing got increasingly uh, raucous as you can imagine. And then the following night we went to we went to see them at the Davenport Theatre. They filled the place. I mean it's a seventeen hundred and fifty seater and there wasn't a seat in the house and it was a fantastic show. I think you may have heard some of the the recording I made that night. Yeah of course tonight <coughs> It's not that we ran short of uniforms that we don't all look alike, <laughs> but we thought it would be rather colourful if we had each of our chorus members wear the uniform from this particular chapter. So tonight you see 89 of our chapters represented here. We come from 21 states throughout the US and three Canadian provinces. And I was absolutely particularly thrilled to, uh, to hear Pacific Airs and actually to meet two of them. Um, the, free, the previous evening in the Davenport, in the Portland Hotel. Bill Fritz, the bass, and uh, Rudy Whistler. Yeah, watch it. Last two years in succession. <laughs> <laughs> My heart has bled for you on a couple of occasions. What's your name? Graham Eaton. Graham, I'm Rudy Whistler. We were just at the bar and we were doing a bit of, what do they call it now? Well, then, woodshedding. We were just doing a bit of busking, as I would call it. And Rudy Whistler came up. Well, uh, for those that are not in the know, Rudy Whistler was the uh, Pacific Air's lead and the claim to fame was that he sang the part of Al Jolson as a boy in Jolson's story. And he came up, you know, and we chatted away and um, he said, well, what would you like to sing? Well, I've been singing uh, John for about, I don't know, just a couple of months. But I'd learned, I'd, you know, a steep learning curve. I'd learned, learned the, rest of the repertoire so I could go out and sing them. And uh, he said, well, what do you know? I said, well, I said, I've not been in very long, but well, let's, let's sing After Dark. And he sang tenor. Um, I sang the bass. Um, a couple of my colleagues filled in the other two parts. And listening to it again all those years ago, it's not half bad. What a lovely voice that guy had. 
sang with Stockport Barbershop Club for five years before moving on to pursue other choral interests. His experience demonstrates the warmth which had developed between British and American male barbershoppers. In 1980, a delegation from Babs set off for the US to conclude an affiliation agreement with the American Society. The late John Grant, famous in barbershop circles for founding both Sheffield's Hallmark of Harmony and the East Midlands Grand Central Chorus and then winning gold medals with both, led the negotiations on the UK side. John was Babs' chairman that year. Bob Walker was also among the delegation. We had a fantastic trip. Six of us went over to Harmony College in the States, and John was one of them. Roy Dawson, who well known to many of you, was another. And um, we went, we flew to Chicago, because that was the closest place to Kenosha, which is where the society was, which is only about... Uh, 30, 40 miles north of Chicago. And <clears throat> we actually formed a quartet with me and um, Roy and a couple of others. And while we were having fun and visiting the chapters in Chicago, John was up there in Kenosha doing deals, and he did a wonderful deal for us. And he set up this affiliation agreement and that we would pay a certain amount, Babs would pay a certain amount to the society every year. And for that, we would get... All the music, every one of our clubs would get all the published music as it came out. And at that time, at that time, they were, publi they were um, publishing at least half a dozen songs every year and sometimes more. And we would get those and a copy for every club. <clears throat> and uh, the other thing was that we would get two weeks of coaching in this country by one of their uh, society people, one of their permanent employees who was in the music department. And that was marvellous. They came over and they, they would get in those two weeks. They'd probably cover seven, eight, nine different clubs to give them an evening of coaching. And so that was negotiated by, by John Grant, and that was a wonderful thing. And then we had the most hilarious trip. We, had, we hired this, this, I think it was a Ford LTD station wagon, and the six of us drove down from Chicago down to St. Joseph, Missouri, where Harmony College was. And it was just an amazing trip. We, we actually, we had at least a couple of professional comedians, Roy and John in there, <clears throat> and the rest of us, and we developed a system called punchlines, so that if somebody wanted to tell a joke, remember this is a very long journey, it took us two and a half days, if somebody wanted to tell a joke, um, because a lot of people in the car would know it already, all you had to do was to say the punchline, and then there were rules. If everybody laughed, you didn't need to tell the story, and you'd all had fun. If nobody laughed, you had to tell the story. If one person laughed, he had to tell the story. <laughs> so there was no cheating. How very like barbershoppers to surround even the telling of jokes with a set of rules. There does seem to be a natural affinity for barbershop among certain comedians. We've already encountered Charlie Chester's enthusiasm. Roy Dawson was another comic who often entertained audiences at Babs Convention. Here he is at Harrogate in 1993. 
<laughs> All right, two budgies in a cage. I want you to mark me on this out of ten, will you, please? See if you can get it right. What for? You don't even know the job yet. I've not done it yet. Two budgies. <laughs> oh, God. Two budgies in the game. You know, I sat on a bench out there in the town today and there was all pigeons around me and, um, and a bunch of barbershoppers came past and said, I'll be telling you gags. <laughs> Roy Dawson was among the founders and the first musical director of the Stockport Chorus. I'm told that he still lives in the town. Graham Eagland met him as a young and slightly awestruck new member of the chorus 45 years ago. Roy Dawson was a character. Uh, possibly many of your listeners will have seen him live at conventions. He was a great musician. He was a great motivator. And he, he just lived for, for his barbershopping. When a rainy day comes Or a cloud of grey comes And I've lost my sunny day my sunny day Mr. Music Master Make my heart beat faster You can chase my cares Away, away So, so when you write a melody And add the words Just think of me Give me a song, an old barbershop song that I can sing when I am blue. Songwriting is another of Roy Dawson's many musical and entertainment skills. He composed this barbershop gem. It's performed here by the quartet Singularity, and it was sung at the 2018 BHS convention in Orlando. And to think that my chorus sings this, I looked, but unfortunately I couldn't find a recording of it. Sorry, guys. Anyway, Give Me a Barbershop Song, as sung here, is arranged by another of the key figures in Babs during the 80s and 90s, Steve Hall. He was the nearest thing we had to a paid official. He wasn't actually paid, but I think Babs paid for a car to drive 100,000 miles a year, going around various choruses, spending time with them. What sort of work did he do with the choruses? Uh, well, coaching, obviously, from his vast knowledge and experience and ability because he was a brilliant singer in his own right three quartet gold medals of course Pete Powell who we met in previous podcasts was at Reading when Steve began to make regular visits to the chorus seeing Steve's ability was how they came to uh, appoint Steve as their chorus director not on a full-time basis on a part-time basis I think he came at least once a fortnight to the Reading club and were you were you with Reading at the time? Oh yes, I was with Reading then. And what sort of difference did Steve make? He made a great difference to the chorus. And uh, of course Rhiannon improved them even further since. A reference there from Pete to Rhiannon Owens Hall. She and Steve were married when he died, still young, in 2002. It was a tragic loss for his family and also for the wider barbershop world. What happened was he, he wanted the grassroots members to get more individual-focused attention. So going to them 
rather than expecting them to come to a Harmony College or to convention, um, he was going to them. And then um, he had about 21, 25 courses that he would go and see uh, four times a year, maybe five times a year, and would always monitor where they were, what, they, what they'd done last time and where they were now, and would write reports and... Um, that's how it worked and he he provided a huge amount of education a breadth of education across the country that nobody else did and that is the bottom line you know it was continuous it wasn't in you know a convention or a harmony college or a weekend away it was total steve will be here in three months time this is what he said we have to do and they they did it or they didn't do it and he would work with the chorus with the chorus director um, developing the, the people who manage the chorus, the music team, so that they knew what their roles were to go away and try and develop the singers. And he gave them ways of working. He was obviously a very experienced barbershop, but he started when he was 17. He started off uh, in Stockport, but then started uh, formed Rainy City with John Batty and a few others. Um, and then, of course, was a... Um, a barbershop, a, a quartet, strong quartet, four gold medals. Um, and he also directed, be, began directing choruses. Um, his then wife is also um, a, a gold medalist in, at DOT in Concords. And so there was a great affiliation between the, you know, the two associations at that time because the two gold medalists were also um, involved with each other. And it was a strong model. So, uh, and then he became more involved with with doing choruses. Uh, he started off Bradford Man, directed Bradford Man, um, kind of turned the music, the way people looked at music, um, on its head a bit. Um, was quite revolutionary. Didn't always get on with people. Well, when you, when you say uh, turned the music on its head, was quite revolutionary. In in in, in what way? In what, what well, sense? Steve put things back in rhythm. And that was quite a difficult. That was put. That was a, a, a throwing a balloon up in the air. And um, people found some of the things that he was doing um, contradictory to the way that they were actually thinking it was or it should go. And he was throwing up an alternative, uh, and uh, and confronting people with the possibility of a different way of looking at things. And actually, Steve was a man well before his time. Well before his time. And his view was exactly that a rhythm song is a rhythm song. Sing it how they expect it to be. What's the mood of the song? What is the message of the song? You've got to, you've got to look like that. You've got to sound like that. You know, all of those sort of things. And, and in fact, Joe Brown sent me a copy of a document that she had, that he had used in one of his sessions. And, and she said, you know, he, a man before his time. He was a man before his time. Yeah. Given the ambition of some of the leading figures at the time, it's not entirely surprising that at one convention there should have been an attempt to create a world record. 600 singers were gathered on risers in Bournemouth in what was billed as the world's largest barbershop chorus. The year was 1987. The huge chorus was directed by US educator Bob Johnson from a most unusual platform and Jerry Holland was the mastermind. I'm going to sing for you. I'll take you home again at the F shop.
I blagged up uh, a cherry picker from the Bournemouth Corporation. So the cherry picker drove in and put, we put Bob Johnson in this thing and up he went in this thing <laughs> to direct the chorus. And I, had, I stipulated everybody turn up in your chorus uniform and stay and stay as blobs of chorus in your chorus group. So if you look at the photograph of it, there's all these different colours of, of people standing there up up in these on these risers and it looks amazing absolutely amazing and and, guy, and you ask people and people were, were crying because the sound from and let's face it we were 40 years younger than we are today and it sounded a lot <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it too believe me <laughs> Spectacular, it certainly was. Though the Guinness Book of Records refused to include the feat because they had no way, they said, of determining whether it really was a world record. A lesson learned, and by no means the only one, for by this time, Barbershop in general, and Babs in particular, was becoming increasingly focused on providing educational opportunities for those chorus and quartet singers keen to develop their barbershop skills. The first Harmony College per se was actually in Owens Park in 1979, the Babs won, and Lyle Pettigrew and Val Hicks came over. And uh, Lyle Pettigrew had actually conduct, uh, coached Liverpool ladies and had gone around several times. He was brought over by um, Roy Dawson and he stayed with Roy Dawson, but he went and he did um, some coaching with different courses. And then he went and did Harmony College alongside Val Hicks. And I attended that. That was fabulous. That was my my first attending as a student, you know. I recorded these from a, uh, I put them on tape about 25 years ago. And about 17 years ago, I was rehearsing with the Osmond brothers one day in my living room back in Utah. And I needed some extra tape to record. And I pulled out this Peerless Quartet and it had some room on the end for some extra recordings. Just listening to the two of them and listening to Val Hicks's History of Barbershop um, recordings. He had recordings of the Osmonds. And uh, I mean, you know, it, it, I think David Wright's had that, that and got those sorts of things. But Val Hicks was the first one that I heard doing that in 1979. And I think I have still got the audio tapes of that. I just came across this recording the other day. So this is the Osmond Brothers, 17 years ago, singing If You Knew Susie Like I Knew Susie. And it just happened to be on this peerless <coughs> The weekend cost £35. Rod Butcher, whose claims to fame include having attended all 41 Babs Harmony Colleges to date, as well as running some of the earlier ones, dug out for me his copy of the original programme. 
Um, I brought with me the, the Harmony Express or the news sheet as it was then, which, which uh, indeed outlines what the programme was. And I haven't seen this for 40 odd years, I suppose. So, you know, looking at it again, really, is that what we did? Go on, take me through it. Well, Thursday, your vocal techniques, uh, coaching, looking good on the risers, quartet singing, making a better sound, uh, woodshedding, staging a chorus, chorus director's workshop on the Friday, um, a conducting session, an arranging session. Uh, basic barbershop theory um, and onwards. I mean, Saturday there was a show. We had a special presentation from Val Hicks, who played um, a lot of cylinder, old cylinder quartets from you know the turn of the previous century. Uh, and uh, um, I can remember the fantastic singing as well. Um, and the beginning of what became a, an institution for a while, the Thursday Airs Chorus. It, it was a case of getting together, singing a song, you know, and putting together some kind of little performance on it. Um, and I think we did uh, Goodbye My Coney Island Baby, We All Fall Medley. <laughs> uh, I can remember that being sung. Um, and it, it became an institution from there. And indeed, we, the likes of Graham Starkey and Jonathan Hirschman driving it, we, we would have all sorts of things, you know, people dressing up and uh, um, choreography being, being devised and, and learnt um, to give a performance on the Saturday night. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was something... In some ways it was part of the college, but it wasn't part of the, the, the official programme. And the Thursday airs because those who came on the Thursday did it. Over the years, the Babs Harmony College changed in significant ways. Study streams in areas like directing, arranging, quartet singing and personal development have replaced the weekend's original series of ad hoc lectures and seminars. There are also many more women attending and running what was originally an almost exclusively male event. Rhiannon Owens Hall was able to go to the First Harmony College only because she was the director of a male chorus, and the British Association, unlike its American counterpart, had decided that as chorus directors, women would qualify for membership. But as time went on, things began slowly to change. Women started coming. I don't know when they were. I mean, I was just with the men's chorus that I was involved with, so I didn't necessarily associate with with any of the other ladies uh, and then somebody said have said to me well look we've got enough ladies to sing here why don't you do something so I said oh well it's the usual question what do you all know you know what do you all know uh, my wild Irish rose no we don't know that one um sweet uh no no we don't know that one and then it was heart of my heart yeah we all know that one fine okay so let's have a quick rehearsal so we did, and I, I think this actually happened in Worcester. I think Graham had taken it over by that time, and it was it was obviously in the '92 era onwards. And um, we had a quick rehearsal in the entrance hall, as we always did, <laughs> but it sounded okay. So we said, "Oh, shall we have? A, shall we sing the show?" Would it, will I, yeah. So I said, "Yeah, let's sing the show," and it brought the house down. It and it, that was when it started. That's when the ladies' chorus started, and more people came because I. I the next thing, the next big step for, for Babs Harmony College was getting women on the faculty. And that's when I, I became involved on the faculty uh, because I was asked, I'd been attending Directors College um, in the society, um, 90, 91 and 92. Um, and so I was asked to run the stream, the director stream there uh, for Babs. And I asked Jim Cat, would he come along and work with me? And he did. Um, and from there, things became, you know, very, very full from the directing point of view. Jim uh, 
was there for a few years. Other people came. Uh, so, you know, that's how it grew. But all the time, there were more people, more females coming in. And it just, you know, the, the, it was just everybody, we're, we're directors, this is what we do, we're all together, we can sing. Um, and the, it, so that's how it happened. It, so numbers came in, we carried on singing. From the musical Wicked, the song Gravity is sung by the ladies' chorus and recorded during the Saturday Night Afterglow at the 2019 Labs Harmony College. I should point out that Labs, the ladies' association, also runs its own harmony colleges, meaning that in some years women singers have the choice to attend either or both events. As mentioned earlier, the two organisations have been holding entirely separate conventions since 1980. Only once, in 2000, did they come together for a joint event at which male and female choruses competed against one another. At the time, Jerry Holland was none too happy about the prospect. Lots of the ladies' choruses sing a lot better than the men, that's for sure. When we competed against the ladies uh, was at the Millennium Convention. I think uh, Chris Tidyman was chairman of BABS then. And I said to him, don't compete with the ladies, don't do it. And he said, no, we're fine, we're fine. In the end, the ladies carried off four of the six top medals when <laughs> we competed directly with them. Why do you think that is? Why, 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 should, why should women be so much better at, at, at singing barbershop than well, men? Well, for a start, the sound is more youthful. I think it's higher up the register and, and, and just more youthful. Also, they, they, when, when you're talking barbershop, you're talking move, movement and stuff like that. And whereas the men have got older uh, and slightly, very slightly slower, I think the ladies haven't, and, and they just look better than we do. <laughs> With Babs and Labs now well into their fifth decade, both are facing fresh challenges. The greying of many barbershop choruses is one. The mean average age of a Babs member is a little over 60. Jerry Holland looks to the future with some concern. One of the things that, 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 that organisations must do to survive is to change. And, and therein lies the problem, I think. Uh, it, it, you've got to change. You can't just stay static the way you are. And, and we, did, we stayed static too long, I think. But efforts are being made to recruit the young. Both Labs and Babs have youth choruses. A number of barbershop groups, with the help of members of both organisations, are active in British universities. These groups, though, are mixed voice, which itself poses a challenge to barbershop single-sex tradition. It's one which Rhiannon Owens-Hall believes the barbershop community should embrace. The youth of both associations are bringing the two things together. And I think that's where the future of barbershop, particularly having gone through with what we've, we're doing through now, I think the youth will, will drive it forward. The youth like mixed. It's not about, you know, well, it's not that's, that. Things have changed. Things have moved on. Things have morphed into something else. And we need to keep this art form going. Do, do, do you think then eventually that the two organisations might, might come back together in, in, I don't know, in maybe a couple of generations' time? It would make sense to do that, wouldn't it? I mean, why have we got separate associations doing the same hobby? I'll just ask that question. It would make sense to do that, but there are certain things that would need, there has to be give and take on both sides. 
So could Labs and Babs one day become a single organisation? Dr Liz Garnett doesn't rule it out, but until attitudes in wider society change, she believes that women will still want a separate space. More likely to than not, I would say. I mean, again, you can't, you can't tell the future, but one of the points um, with, with that sense of actually being in an organisation where you're not being bossed around by men, you know, if, if, we, if we fix society so that you don't get the mansplaining and you don't get the groping, you know, then, then, then maybe not. Maybe, maybe a mix will, will all go mixed. But having space so we can get away from that does matter. Whether separate organisations still have a role is one thing. How barbershop is sung is another. Two, three, four. Since you've gone, I'm blue. The chorus, Strictly Barbershop, winners of the first UK Mixed Chorus Contest in 2016. For several years now, mixed voice choruses and quartets have been competing together for their own trophies. Dr Liz Garnett believes there would be profound implications for the art form if this were to become the norm. If Mixed Barbershop does become bigger than um, either male or female, they're gonna have to, they'll have to change what Barbershop is, because Mixed Barbershop vocally Using, using classic barbershop voicings sits kind of uneasily on a mixed ensemble. Three plus one part works fine. You can have a female tenor and a male quartet or a male bass and female quartet. It's going to work just fine. But with branding as SATB, um, lead is not alto. Baritone is not tenor. Generally, you'll find that the way things are, it's a, you're either wasting the top end of the women or, or, or you're wasting the bottom end of the men or you're, or, you're, or you're pushing somebody into an uncomfortable range. Sometimes, sometimes you're doing all of those. Classic barbershop voicing was, 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 was made for people whose voices were fundamentally the same range. So it's either going to be that, that, that the mixed remains, you know, you can make it work and people have a lot of fun making it work, but it's either going to remain a minority sport um, because you have to work to make it work or it's going to have to involve actually changing the musical structures to, 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 to suit the voices. And I don't know which of those is going to happen. And all that before we've even begun to talk about the coronavirus pandemic, which has kept singers apart and disrupted conventions and other barbershop activities for the past 12 months or more. The road ahead for barbershop is uncertain. But for most, the road already travelled has been exciting, rewarding and fun. Jane Dancer, who travelled to many a convention with her late father John, says he derived real pleasure from seeing the way that barbershop singing had brought so much enjoyment to so many people. He was thrilled by it. He was absolutely thrilled by it. He sat there. I remember having a sandwich with him. I'm sure it was the Clandidno convention where he hadn't been for a few years. As I said, he'd been not very well and so he wasn't able to go. And I took him to this one in Wales and we sat there. Um, on the, I think we just turned up. We'd driven all the way from Sussex up the way, um, all the way up to North Wales in a, in a very small car. <laughs> so he was trying to recover. We were sitting there in the convention centre having a sandwich, and Dad was just looking around at all of these people that had turned up, or the hundreds and hundreds of barbershops, people randomly singing in the corner, and people just excited to be there. And, and he said that he wished his dad had seen that 
that he he would been alive to see what he created. It was it was it was lovely, and it was lovely for me to see that because I kind of feel that for him, you know. And yeah, it was. I think Dad had a great amount of pride for it too, for everything that had been created and and this joy and passion and love that was around that that had come from those very early beginnings. Cottontown Chorus bringing this history of British Barbershop to a close with an Irish blessing. My thanks to all those you heard in this edition. Rhiannon Owens-Hall, Dr Liz Garnett, Bob Walker, Janet and Jerry Holland, Rod Butcher, Marina Plant, Graham Eagland and Pete Powell. Thanks to Rhiannon Graham and to Babs for providing archive material. Uh, to those who've advised me and helped behind the scenes. And of course to you for listening. As barbershoppers, we're in for fascinating and perhaps challenging times ahead. Whatever happens, Harmony UK podcast will try to reflect what's going on. From me, John Beasley, until we meet again, stay safe, keep the whole world singing, and bye-bye.